Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 119. My friends, we are talking today with Melanie Weller, who is a very, very fascinating and uh, expert physical therapist. She talks a lot about uh, something called the vagus nerve, not to be confused with the city I live in, Las Vegas. Vagus, V-A-G-U-S, nerve, that uh, extends from the brainstem all the way down the spine, but not in the spine, and and how all of this stuff uh, in our physical plane affects everything in our bodies and surroundings. I'm not, by the way, doing anything justice by explaining it myself. She explains things much more expertly and uh, authentically and articulately <laughs> than I can. But we talked at length about some very, very deep principles about uh, alignment in ourselves. Many of you know I talk about joy, meaning alignment in Hebrew sometimes, and uh, other things. We touched on all of that, some of her own personal experiences. She opened up, uh, was a little vulnerable with some things from her past as well, and a lot of uh, trauma and the things, uh, you know, what that means in our lives. And uh, so we touched on all kinds of topics, but uh, I want to real quick tell you also, we're going to get into our reminders and challenges and stuff real quick. I turned 40 this week. Uh, Macaulay Culkin and I, happy birthday, Macaulay. He was born the same day as I was in 1980. <laughs> and so we're both 40 now. Uh, come on the show, Macaulay. I know you're listening. Uh, also, Chris Pine was born. M- Mother Teresa, I think, shares, my, shares our birthday as well. Uh, and, and this isn't to toot my horn or any of that kind of stuff. I want to mostly express extreme gratitude and love for uh, so many great things and people in my world. I received over 40 cards and messages, literally physical cards. I've got them here with me. You can probably hear it right here in my hands uh, from dozens of people, lots of people who don't even really know me. And I received all these cards and it's very humbling and at risk of embarrassing anybody. I'm not going to mention any names, but Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of the people who've done that and uh, all of you for listening. And uh, it's just very flattering to be able to have this experience with you on a regular basis and to have that kind of love expressed. And I hope that you can feel that kind of love expressed in your world as well. And uh, by the way, if you're going through anything, reach out, uh, Empower101 on Instagram and Twitter at empowerhumans.com, info at empowerhumans.com. Uh, as well. And along with that, I want to remind you, you are absolutely priceless. Whatever your current station in life, whatever you're going through, uh, whatever wherever you've been, uh, she shared some interesting quotes here towards the end of the podcast about how our past propels us forward in our life. And again, I can't do any of it justice. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I do want to remind you of your absolutely priceless state and and stop and sit for a second and let that sink in. You are priceless. Tell yourself that so that you're in tune with reality because that reality is there whether you like it or not. And the power is in you. And uh, as well, along with that, you're not alone ever uh, in any way, shape or form, both in the pleasant and unpleasant experiences of life. You are not alone uh, in any way. And so uh, reach out, like I mentioned, and I want to remind you of our challenges. Study, keep studying, start studying. Uh, I'm going through some interesting books uh, of all kinds of things right now, from psychology to uh, making money and uh, various topics. We live at such a blessed time in the Earth's history to be able to access so many things 
so much knowledge in particular, so so much different uh, media uh, of different sorts as far as uh, audio and video and and books, you know, ebooks and so on. Uh, and and so I encourage you to find something that clicks with you that you can embrace and grow with, and don't look at it as a destination. The journey is the destination. Keep that in mind. We might get at certain destinations in life, but the journey is the destination. And so keep studying. And of course, our second challenge: make great moments. Uh, I was able to take my son out with me, just running errands. I, you know, we talked about this recently on the podcast. Uh, sometimes people talk about having a, a parent-child date of some sort. My son went out with me. He's eight years old, and uh, we went. Uh, we had to drop off a, a battery core for the car. We got a new battery recently, and I hadn't brought the core, but they trusted me, and they had, so I brought it back. And then we went into a car wash, and we went uh, to a Sam's Club. Shout out to Sam's Club, and we <laughs> went and picked up some some mail at a mailbox and various, various things like that. But through it all, and he got a treat along the way and stuff. And we had a good time, a good chat. And I was able to tell him, Hey, I'm so thankful you came with me. We had a good experience. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Make great moments. This isn't to toot my horn either. Cause I fall short all the time. I make, you know, I get upset with my kids and <laughs> you get upset. I'm sure with people in your world at times. And that's okay. Again, the whole message, by the way, of this this episode, I think, is owning ourselves. Own what we are, own what we've done, right and wrong. Face it, own it, and and then along with that, own our power, our power to be our best selves, hopefully, and uh, run with that. And our last challenge, my friends, of course, is let's keep doing this podcast together. Uh, again, my gratitude for all the love and birthday wishes. Go share the podcast, you know, friends and family, neighbors. It'll help keep us around for a long time to come. We're going to be teaming up here pretty soon and doing this uh, amazing giveaway. Uh, so watch for that in the coming, uh, probably the next couple weeks. And we'll we'll have more information uh, at various, you know, places wherever we're found, both on and offline and on the podcast itself. So, but share, you know, like I said, write a note, put it on your neighbor's door on your neighbor's desk at work, but you know, wear a mask, <laughs> do all the things we need to do. Uh, there's so many things I could touch on, but I just want to express so much love and gratitude to each and every one of you and keep your heads up high, keep your chin up and not in a haughty kind of uh, arrogant way, but keep your, your chin up in a confident, happy, joyful way, even if you're going through difficult things, because you're not alone. I'm going through things right now myself, so you're not alone. And uh, all the rest of our audience, I guarantee you, just about everyone, even even your rich friends or celebrities we might look up to, they're going through things. And, and by the way, I want to lastly uh, express our condolences to the loss of uh, Chadwick Boseman, who played the Black Panther. He also played Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. And uh, goodness gracious, what a talent and what a loss. And uh, God rest his soul, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman and all affected, especially on a personal level, uh, family, friends, and otherwise. Uh, great talent and a reminder of the uh, temporary state of this chapter of our existence. Uh, but I could go on and on and on. I apologize. I just turned 40. I might be rambling. So let's, without further ado, let's jump into the podcast, my friends. Melanie Weller, excellent expert, and I'm going to let her tell her uh, expertise and her story here. So without further ado, here's our chat with Melanie Weller. We're so pleased to welcome Melanie Weller today, who is a physical therapist and all kinds of other great credentials. Too long a list to list off here, but uh, lots of things in the physical realm and helping people related to exercise and uh, just a specialist in a wide variety of, of categories. Melanie, how are you doing today? Coming to us from New Orleans, uh, kind of on the outskirts of Hurricane Laura this week. How are you doing today? Yes, 
I'm great, Phil. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we were very fortunate this week. Laura almost entirely missed us. We just got a little bit of rain and wind. So uh, we were grateful for that. As uh, earlier in the week, it looked like both Marco and Laura were going to come through here. So it was a relief to, uh, to not have that happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially for a place like New Orleans. How long have you lived there, if you don't mind me asking? I have been here for 11 years. So oh, I was okay. not here for Katrina. Yeah, goodness gracious. Yeah, that was that was craziness. I, I can't imagine getting hit twice that. I mean, it's not that close. That was 2005, but it's still. Yes, <laughs> I mean, uh, still. Yeah, no, there's still building. things that. Yes, yes, no. Uh, yes, to have more space between disasters is is a good thing for sure. Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, uh, well, we'll get into your background because the main topic today is everything you do, which uh, when I was reading everything about you, it was very fascinating to me and something we've covered a lot of different topics. Obviously, we're Empower Humans as our podcast, but we've mm -hmm. never quite covered uh, <laughs> what it is you do, which is a very specific set of skills, as Liam Neeson might say, and uh, <laughs> in the movie too. Uh, yes. But anyway, back on track. Um, but let's talk about. But tell me about your background, and maybe where'd you come from before New Orleans and all this stuff, and and uh, what inspired you to pursue your career path this way. Sure. Well, I I grew up in Northern Virginia, outside of Washington D.C., and I went to college at the University of Virginia for my undergraduate degree. And I married my high school sweetheart to whom I'm still married. We've been married for 28 years. Nice. And he was, went to the Naval Academy. And, and so I was a Navy wife for 20 years. Wow. And I, you know, the way it worked out with where he got stationed, the University of Southern California was the most convenient place for me to attend physical therapy school. Mm -hmm. So when he was stationed in San Diego, and so we made that happen. Yeah. And I have been grateful every day of my career for my education uh, at the University of Southern California. It was incredibly progressive for the time, and even, I would say, incredibly progressive even by today's standards, and uh, at least for what I see uh, when I've seen new you know, young therapists come out. I'm just so incredibly grateful for the way we were taught to really look at the person as a whole system and to really evaluate them head to toe because I've really carried that through. And very early in my career, I ended up working with complicated chronic patients and others that hadn't found success with other practitioners and within the medical system. Mm -hmm. And so I was constantly getting thrown outside of the box to think about how to help these people because the last six physical therapists and three chiropractors and four doctors that they had seen did not help them. Mm -hmm. And so to, you know, I, you know, I always felt like it was important not to repeat the same things or give them the same answers that there was some, you know, there was another way to address this. Yeah. And I had some incredible mentoring along the way and took some incredible continuing education courses. And so I really love the puzzle of the, uh, that these people are, you know, kind of what, you know, what is that? And let's see how we can accelerate and amplify the effect of my interventions so that they get better faster. And that's kind of a game that I've played with myself 
you know, or challenge I've uh, (laughs) held myself to over the years, like what one, two or three things can I do to make 10, 20 or 30 things better in their bodies? Because people that are, have not had their dysfunction resolved, don't like if you have back pain, your problem is not at your, just at your back. If you have chronic back pain, you are biomechanically not working properly at your big toe, your ankle, your knee, your hip, your rib cage, Mm -hmm. or your neck. And so you have no shock absorption above or below the point where you're having pain. And so I very affectionately uh, refer to that kind of a person as just a, they're just a biomechanical train wreck. Like they just have, you know, biomechanical dysfunction (laughs) head to toe. Uh But you don't have to fix it head to toe. You can find that those one or two pieces that are really driving the whole system and treat those and then 80 or 90 or 100 percent of it goes away very very quickly yeah the and over the years one of the most powerful tools that i learned to make this happen for people was to decompress the vagus nerve at the base of the skull and your vagus nerve is your big stress and pleasure and inflammation mediating pathway in your body. It goes all the way from your brainstem down into the pelvis. It is outside of your spinal cord. It innervates your vocal cords, your heart and your digestive system. Mm -hmm. And most of us know our vagus nerves, whether you know it or not, when you, you go to, maybe speak in front of a group or do something uh, that's a little new and you get a lump in your throat and your palms sweat and your heart races Uh and your digestion changes because all of those are vagus nerve mediated functions. And when you get that stress response, it means that your vagus nerve has been dialed down and your Mm -hmm. fight and flight response, your sympathetic nervous system has been dialed up. Your vagus nerve is the biggest component of your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest. It's your grace under pressure. And it's also uh, sexual arousal as well. Mm-hmm. And what evolved over the years, and I will say a large part of this evolved as in the midst of my, um, I'll say midlife spiritual awakening, which I might have told you was a crisis at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, like we have these, you know, the, like I really thought my destiny was as a highly credentialed physical therapist. And I collected a lot of letters after my name <laughs> over the years. Yeah. And, but now I, um, I really bridge, uh, or I talk about the vagus nerve is the bridge between your body and your story as well. And so I show up a little bit more in a maybe a high priestessy way than uh, in a clinical way, though I definitely bridge, you know, I like I have both pieces of that. And mm-hmm. so I branded myself here as a stress management expert for my practice, and I have formal training in mind body medicine, and I to go along with the vagus nerve decompression system that I developed over the years. And the 
So we all know that, like we know scientifically that trauma affects the voice and the breath. Okay. So when we get traumatized, you know, we'll gasp, you know, or scream. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, or we'll lose our breath or start breathing more heavily. You know, we understand that, you know, everybody understands that when you get stressed or traumatized, that it affects your voice and your breath. Right. And your vocal cords and your diaphragm are horizontally oriented in the body. Hmm. And so in a, to pull in an anatomical term, they live in the transverse plane of the body. Okay. So like, it would be like the plane in which we rotate. Nobody gets stressed or traumatized and has a really great arm swing when they walk. Hmm. We all lock up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Interesting. Wow. You know, when you're nice and relaxed and you're in, you know, like you'll have a lot of arm swing when you walk, nobody experiences a trauma and <laughs> has really nice arm swing. And so that rotation, so, and rotation is the first thing that we give up Mm -hmm. from a a movement standpoint. And so not only are your vocal cords and your diaphragm horizontal, but like the base of your skull where your vagus nerve exits is a, is horizontally oriented. And uh, you have a series of structures across your shoulders called your thoracic inlet that are uh, your thoracic inlet's horizontally oriented and your pelvic floor is horizontally oriented. Yeah. And so these, uh, so these are places that one will lock up rotational motion and two will cut off your vagus nerve. They will literally pinch your vagus nerve. Wow. And I contextualize a lot of this around the vagus nerve. They're also going to compress the arteries, veins, and lymph and other things, you know, that are going vertically through those structures and it physically impairs your flow and it literally impairs you your flow within life as well when we get you know even in severe trauma where your vagus nerve gets really shut down you know like in terms of ptsd for example Mm -hmm. i would contend that your vagus nerve itself is traumatized that it's so compressed within those horizontal structures in the body that it cannot physically do its job and from a uh you know so my interest in the vagus nerve was uh rooted especially in how your vagus nerve uses the same neurotransmitter that your muscles do so you get beautiful musculoskeletal responses to decompressing the vagus nerve Mm -hmm. and it's um, but I found that it, uh, you know, I've worked with a number of people, uh, with psychiatric disorders as well. And it's just phenomenal to me how, um, how it even tells their stories. Like I can recognize, I know exactly how to, I, I can recognize suicide ideation very precisely. I know exactly when to ask a patient of mine if they've been contemplating suicide and get them referred out because it shows up in this body in a very specific way. And wow. one of those, or the overwhelming way is that it locks up, that their rotation is locked up severely. Hmm. And I've even had, uh, I had a client for whom I, he was having terrible hallucinations. And my PT friends look at me when I, like he's, he's got his, his testimonials on my YouTube channel and my 
uh, my PT friends always look at me a little sideways. They're like, he had hallucinations and they thought of you to refer him to. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, <that's, laughs> my reputation is as the body whisperer. So this is like, I get this is, you know, these are the cases I get, the ones that nobody else <laughs> Yeah, yeah, has 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 figured out, and so and that was not a, that was not something I had figured out before you know before he walked into my office, mm -hmm. but I treated him with my vagus nerve decompression system, and at the end of the treatment, ninety percent of his hallucinations were gone, and he was living in a nightmare, you know, where people's faces were melting, and it had been an acute a trauma that's like brought it on, and so it was really wow. deeply profound to me to be able to facilitate that kind of a transformation. And it also taught me as a clinician to bring all of myself to the table. You know, my, uh, my clients would tell you that they, they really come from my soft set of skills and my more intuitive, you know, uh, you know, maybe a little bit esoteric side of what I do, but they like that I have all of my credentials because I'll tell them when they need to, you know, it's like, no, don't screw around with this. You need to go see the doctor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that this is not, you know, and the, uh, and so in this case, I really, I mean, I brought all of my clinical skills to the table and I brought my soft skills to the table too. And it, uh, you know, I, in the medical field, you know, like there's, you know, everybody stays in their late, you know, like you have a scope of practice and your license and all that kind of stuff. And there's a, uh, you know, and I think for, culturally Americans are often taught to like have work at work and leave home at home to sort of separate your work self and your home self. Yeah. Yeah. And this really taught me that like just the power of bringing all of myself to the table and not holding, holding back on that. Well, everything, everything you're saying is <laughs> like, I can't even come up with a word, but fascinating begins to maybe describe it because it's like your bio talks a lot about if it says you're the world's leading expert in opening the door to healthy health performance and innovation through the vagus nerve, uh, mm -hmm. the bridge between our narratives and our physical experience. So uh, interestingly, I would have thought the Vegas nerve is, you know, activated when you start losing when you're gambling. Uh, I'm in Vegas. I'm just playing around. <laughs> yes. And I like that it's pronounced it's V A G U S for our listeners, by the way, if you haven't heard of this yes. before. And truthfully, I'm somewhat ignorant, and that's one of the reasons we have you on. So at least I can learn. <laughs> and then all of you listening, hopefully, too. <laughs> this is really, really interesting. I didn't know that a nerve could be that big, first of all, to go from your brain stem yeah. that far. Yeah. And Absolutely. And, and interestingly, you said it's not in the spine uh, and it has very profound, far-reaching, <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, implications in our bodies, both fig literally and figuratively, physically and mm -hmm. so on. Um, and so you, it sounds like you deal with a wide range of conditions because you mentioned PTSD, you mentioned hallucinations and uh, mm -hmm. other various things. What are some of these kinds of conditions that someone would come uh, to you for, uh, you know, I guess maybe in addition to what you've already said, it sounds like it's a wide variety of things and yeah. this Vegas nerve treatment can certainly uh, positively influence. It, it does. And it's definitely, you know, for a lot of people, it, you know, whether you have, I mean, I'm an orthopedic physical therapist, athletic trainer, you know, so I get a lot of shoulder pain, back pain, knee pain, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. orthopedic type dysfunction. You know, I also 
get a psychiatry referrals, so anxiety, depression, things like that. And where I've, you know, as PTs spend uh, more time with their patients than a lot of other practitioners do. And I was fortunate. I mean, mean, now I can spend as much time as I really need to, you know, because I have my own practice. But even when I was in a clinic, I was fortunate to work for uh, good people where I had at least 30 minutes with the person. And the, uh, and what I heard over and over in their, as they, I took their histories and put together what was happening for them, that what was happening inside of their bodies was metaphorically the same thing that was happening outside of their bodies. Mm. And there, that there was this deep connection between their, um, their, their physical world and their physical body. Okay. And so in the midst of my own, uh, yeah, and, and so I'll say the book that really helped to clarify that for me when I was a young physical therapist was Caroline Mace's Anatomy of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And she took the seven sacraments of Christianity and the seven chakras and uh, the 10, I, um, I may not be pronouncing this right, but Seferot's from the Kabbalah mm-hmm. and kind of matched them all up and says, this is who we are. So it's basically, you know, but basically a chakra based kind of system. And that helped put a lot of pieces together for me in terms of uh, understanding what was happening with my comp- with my chronic pain patients, you know, and uh, in the midst of my, uh, my midlife crisis, one of the things I will say it just really blew the lid off of my intuition. And I'd always spoken to patients in metaphor uh, a lot. And I think that treating the metaphor is very, very important and very powerful because you have to, you know, you have to connect with the person in their own language with what's going on with them. Yeah. And the, uh, but, you know, I would start giving metaphors to, you know, or what I thought were metaphors to patients and they would say, Melanie, you just described my grandmother in the outfit we buried her in. <laughs> and mm. I, you know, and I didn't know I was kind of sliding into this sort of mediumship space mm. with it, you right. know, and that was very uncomfortable for me because that's not my, you know, like I'm an, <laughs> I'm a highly credentialed physical therapist. <laughs> you know, that was not my comfort zone. Yeah. You know, even though I've always done a little bit of an alternative or more, I'll say osteopathic approach to things, which, you know, but I still was very, you know, very structurally based. And so I did a lot of uh, self-exploration to figure out more about this and what was happening and why it was mm-hmm. happening. And uh, so, and, and I took a little break from seeing patients because it was just, I, it felt like I was trying to shove a square peg into a round hole and it was not working. You know, I needed to figure out what I wanted my business to look like in a way that felt authentic to myself. Yeah. rather than hiding behind some, you know, just my physical therapy credentials and being somebody's, you know, best kept secret in the backs of a yoga studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, um, and I, I, one of the books I read in the midst of that was Graham Hancock's Fingerprints of the Gods. Okay. And in it, he talks about the concept of mythology as a mode of communicating scientific information. So, for example, in the ancient Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris, 
our numbers of the Earth's processional cycle. So it was a way they communicated the cosmology was through the story. Hmm. Interesting. And so uh, my first uh, thought as a physical therapist about that was that, well, the Earth right now is at a 23 and a half degree tilt. So what's 23 and a half degrees from the midline of the body? And so I pulled out my protractor and my anatomy books. And in all of my anatomy books, and I've also had the chance to look at real skulls to uh, like, and they match this as well. The opening where your vagus nerve exits the base of the skull is 23 and a half degrees from the center of where your spinal cord exits the base of your skull. Wow. And there are 47 degrees between the pole stars that our earth points at over thousands and thousands of years and normal rotation at between the first and second cervical vertebrae is 47 degrees to each side. And the anterior cruciate ligament sits at 47 degrees and normal transverse plane rotation at the foot is 23 degrees. And so like, I knew all of like, you know, so I, like, you know, I instantly had all of these 23 and a half and 47 degree angles that I've used for years Mm -hmm. in terms of measuring patients, uh, you know, or understanding biomechanics and, and measuring range of motion and and doing my own, uh, uh, my evidence-based biomechanical tests. And so from that, I uh, have sprung, I have a theory that I call these critical angles. And if you're, uh, my observation has been that if these critical angles are not right in your body, then you are less likely to feel well. And we know through, from research that our vagus nerves, which innervates our, innervate our hearts, so they create the electromagnetic field of our hearts, and that's a measurable thing. And that our... Uh, electromagnetic fields of our heart synchronize with the electromagnetic field of the earth. And when solar and space weather disrupts the electromagnetic field of the earth, it is measurable in our vagus nerves. Hmm. And so we know that we're syncing with the earth on a, you know, like quite literally on a physical level using a gold standard measurement that's very well established in the research. Wow. And so, so that was kind of the first place that, you know, that I went with it. And then shortly thereafter, I did a, a, a free stress management class online, and I ended up talking a lot about the ventricles of the brain. And the ventricles of the brain make cerebral spinal fluid. And I have a, my favorite anatomical picture of anything ever for the last 20 plus years that I've had uh, this set of books is uh, it's a compilation of MRI images to give a 3D picture of what the ventricles of the brain look like. And I went back to that image after I did that class and I thought, oh, I'll just send them the image, you know, so that they have an idea of what this looks like. And at the time I had been studying astrology for myself And when I looked at the picture, it was just in plain sight that the ventricles of the brain look exactly like the ram's horns that represent Aries in astrology. And in astrology, Aries rules the head. And so I had been introduced to this concept that mythology was a way of communicating scientific information. Wow. 
And then I was like, you know, and astrology, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago was medicine, you know, was medicine, you know, or how they, an important part of how they applied it. And so, but to think of, uh, so then I was like, well, where's the rest of it? And sure enough, the way your hyoid bone in your throat sits on top of your larynx looks just like the symbol for Taurus and Taurus rules the throat. And the aortic arch is the same shape as the symbol for Leo and Leo rules the heart. And it works its way the whole way through the body. (laughs) And so I have um, used this in a couple of different ways. One, as a stress management expert, I really, I I will tell you my superpower and my favorite thing to do is to really help people identify what those stress-related and spiritual underpinnings of their physical dysfunction are to really dig into like really what's underneath this and what's driving this dysfunction because I don't want to see them back in my office you know my dream is to like I try really hard to put myself out of business (laughs) you know I really want everybody to be better in one visit and it happens often enough that I that I think it's always possible it doesn't always happen but it happens often enough for me to hold on to the idea that this is really possible (laughs) and the so i so you can use the story to um to get into those underpinnings on a very practical level you can use them as guided meditations to help people uh dig into that too and even to kind of work through the trauma without re-traumatizing themselves mm-hmm. along with it and I have turned it into a form of energy medicine. Mm. So um, to complement my evidence-based techniques. And so I work with people both remotely, but online and, uh, and in person as well. Yeah. That's, uh, that's overwhelming. A lot of the stuff you just explained. I, uh, <laughs> for us again, and I comment on this sometimes on the podcast that, you know, I'm a Westerner both in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and in the planet, and uh, I've always lived out west. But yeah. there's something about us being in this part of the world where a lot of this there's this tendency culturally. You know, I just turned 40, by the way, and I so I've lived a little while enough to see that people think stuff like this sometimes is kind of hokey. And I and I think that sure. in reality, it's because we're scared of it. Like, oh, we're used to compartmentalizing where, oh, my oh, back yeah. pain is isolated in just that little chunk of my back. But it is actually interconnected, not just in the physical plane of the entire body, but exterior mm-hmm. to the body as well. And, it's, and, and then you talk about all these things out in space and how uh, and the r- rotation, the angle, the Earth's axis and all these things and how that's interrelated sure. as, as well. And people, I think people are just scared of bigger truth uh, and how that might I, I, abs- affect us. What do you think? Abs- absolutely. Yeah, no, I do. I think, well, and, you know, like, I mean, I'll, I'll, when I talk to, you know, when I take this system into the corporate arena or work with leaders and we talk about their leadership compression points because this mm-hmm. works the same way for entrepreneurs and, and leaders, that when you're adaptability is at odds with your emotions when you're being too rigid or too flexible (laughs) that it uh, compromises your identity. And it does like, you know, when we to, to have those bigger thoughts uh, disrupts who you think you are and your sense of self to expand it into a bigger space. I would argue if I was going to give you one thing that was the root of all dysfunction, whether it was a physical 
pain or disease or a, um, uh, you know, a leadership issue or a business challenge or a personal life challenge, I would say that it is resisting your own expansion in an ever-expanding universe. Mm. Very intriguing statement. <laughs> that's, uh, well, that's very interesting. And, and those who've listened to me for any length of time know that I've said this before. And at no time, I think, is it more pertinent, perhaps, than what we're talking about now, because... Uh, and there's always this underpinning of a lot of the stuff that I do talk about, read about, you know, both internalizing and externalizing myself. Uh, somebody taught me a while ago that the word joy means alignment, <laughs> the word in Hebrew and in other oh, languages. Oh, I love that. And uh, this is something you can take with you and, and I won't even charge you because no one charged me for it or I didn't, well, I wasn't charged, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but it's truth. And, and it makes sense to yeah. me. And it's such a simple term, there's a feeling that we associate with joy, but the underpinnings, you know, and, you know, I have an ex-wife who worked for chiropractor and I learned all about chiropractic, not all about, but I learned a little bit uh, more than I had planned on in my life. And it was very interesting though, also uh, about alignment and how everything flows through the yeah. spine and the interconnected nature. But that, that applies on both a large and large and small scales that. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I said, like, I want to come back to the Hebrew piece of piece of that in a second because I use Hebrew sounds for my clients as well to um and I like those ancient languages are so incredibly powerful at shifting the physical body um but in terms but I completely agree we think way too small about alignment and the easiest way to understand that in the physical body and again like you know some people will get better with the you know, very basic evidence-based, you know, or, you know, basic applied anatomy and biomechanics and exercise, you know, like, I mean, they're like those, this doesn't, you know, I don't, what I do doesn't necessarily take the place of medicine or other, you know, techniques. What I find is that it amplifies it, makes it work Mm -hmm. better so that it, you know, you don't have so much resistance to it. But one of the easiest ways to understand how alignment uh, works in the body, you know, and and realize that my background is with the people that haven't had success in other places. So I'm not, um, you know, I'm working with somebody who's experienced a lot of resistance to getting better in the first place most of the time. Mm -hmm. And but our respiratory diaphragms, the muscle that we breathe with, has more muscle mass on the right side than it does on the left. And part of that's just because our liver's over on the right and the liver's much bigger than you probably imagine it to be. And, uh, you know, and muscle, and so the muscle mass will lay down accordingly to the amount of tension, you know, and, you know, surface area contact and everything around it. And, probably because most of us are right hand and we live in a right, even if you're left-handed, you live in a right-handed world. Yeah. And uh, so what I see often from a postural standpoint is that people are compressed on the right side and they're rotated a little bit to the right. Wow. That's interesting. (laughs) Okay. So the right, so because the right side of the diaphragm has more muscle mass than the left, theoretically, it will always win if you get out of balance. And but the earth below us and the solar system above us spin the opposite direction, Mm -hmm. you know, so they're 
they're spinning uh, counterclockwise to our left. And so when we're compressed, locked into that right rotation, we are literally out of alignment on a cosmic fractal scale. Mm. <laughs> That's interesting. And the one of the, uh, uh, I have a, a book I really love. Let me see if I have it right. It's called, Coincident it's called Coincidences in the Bible and Biblical Hebrew. Uh, and mm. Haim Shore is the author. And he's an engineer, I believe. It's not written from a spiritual perspective at all. <laughs> but he talks, uh, so he, like that joy, what you said about how joy means alignment, uh, like that might be in the book. I haven't ran across it yet. But so in Hebrew, all of the, uh, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet have a numerical value. Mm. And for example, uh, their word for pregnancy adds up to 270 and the normal pregnancy is about 270 days. Yeah. <laughs> and their word for water is shaped like, like a water molecule. <laughs> wow. And so That's there's cool. all these really amazing things and their words for color and time. This takes a little, he does the calculus in the, in the book to, to show it, but the words for color and time mathematically correspond to the frequency of color and time and Hertz. <laughs> and so like Hebrew, you know, which is just mind blowing to our modern mind is to think that this, language that's thousands and thousands of years old has this scientific has this so precisely scientifically coded into it mm. and so uh like for example the hebrew word for day is yom y-o-m and i have used the word yom uh like especially when i've done group uh, sometimes I do group healings or group presentations and I'll have the individual or the whole group chant yom and it will restore their head biomechanics, their biomechanics, <laughs> like their, you know, it'll imp literally improve their range of motion <laughs> Goodness and, and free up. And it, I use it for people that uh, have difficulty sleeping as well, because our light, you know, our circadian rhythms are processed through our eyes, through our heads, you know, light comes in through our eyes and yam is the day, you know, and so I'll have people chant yam as part of their homework to get in, you know, kind of back on their daily rhythm. And so, um, mm. I, you know, and I use uh, Egyptian hieroglyphic sounds too in the same way. Um, uh, so like, for example, I, uh, just the other day I treated someone's, uh, so I have a client in New Zealand <laughs> that I work. So I worked with this woman online mm -hmm. and she was really tight around her right hip and she had some limited range of motion. And I, so she tested herself to, you know, to see her flexibility and how it felt and everything. And I had assessed her energetically as well and saw the dysfunction and what I had or do was to chant the sound uh, if I-T-H in a very and I had her do it I, when I do breathing exercises like whether my biggest nerve decompression exercises I structure in the same way and I'll give the listeners the, uh, information where they can get that for free 
uh, before we sign off today. Sure. But I have people do it in a, I use the math of a Fibonacci sequence because that's <laughs> the math of how the cosmos moves. <laughs> so I'll have them up. in. Go ahead. So I'll have them inhale for a count of five, hold the, hold the breath for a count of eight and exhale for a count of 13 or as long as they can. So we did three repetitions of the if and her hip pain, her hip issue was completely resolved, like, which is crazy to me. Like, you know, even as like, you know, for all of my work as a physical therapist, and then I've developed this energy medicine system and I'm so skilled with my hands to realize how incredibly powerful voice is continues to blow me away or, you know, and to see how easy the transformation has been. And that, you know, in my personal journey, that's really just coming back to me a lot right now, because my childhood wounding was all around lost voice. And so to see how powerful my voice can be right now is just, uh, it's really overwhelming for me on a personal level. And I'm really, um, uh, you know, I need to step, I need to step up my sound, (laughs) you know, my voice game with, uh, with my work, but it's, you know, it's just so, I think we, we often make healing way too hard. And I, you know, like I said earlier, the game I play is how easy can I make it? How easy can it get? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful, I think, approach, and I and I believe, regardless of anyone's spiritual kind of inclinations, uh, religiously and whatnot, uh, the gods would probably agree, or whatever we want to call the powers yeah. that be in the universe. <laughs> the powers that be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's uh, simple uh, is uh, <laughs> generally simple is the most profound, and some of the greatest what we most of us humans would consider some of the greatest teachers in history were very simple very uh symbolic which we can touch on here as well because i know you talk a little bit about symbolism and how that kind of affects yeah. our, our body and behaviors uh but yeah there's a simplicity uh, yet a profound uh, humbling depth to that simplicity uh and it's it's a depth because it's alignment i mean it's alignment kind of like a you dug a straight hole all the way to the center of the earth. <laughs> it's a simple straight hole, but it's yeah. aligned to the center of the earth. Talk to me about symbolism, though, too, since we're touching on that a little bit. I mean, we, we could go sure. all over the map here because you're touching on so many amazing things. And you mentioned this Fibonacci, which was something I was going to bring up, actually, and this golden spiral and stuff, how that might uh, – <laughs> maybe that's related in the this, in this symbolic realm. But go ahead. What are your thoughts uh, related to our bodies well, and behaviors there? Sure. I think – Probably the uh, my favorite way to talk about symbolism, and I think this happens on many levels, is through logos and corporate logos, and then and how they live in the body, and how then they influence the behavior of the consumer, mm-hmm. and you know, or how they describe even metaphorically what happens. Like for example, FedEx, uh, you know, like they've got the arrow at the end of their. Uh, logo, you know, they have an arrow running through their words, FedEx. And to me, that's a very spinal logo. Your sacrum at the base of your spine is a triangle shape. And the FedEx logo sometimes runs vertically as well. It doesn't always go horizontally. Um, We have a bone in our heads called the sphenoid bone. It sits behind our eyes. And it looks very much like an owl or an eagle or a bat, you know, depending, you know, it looks like a winged animal. Okay. And, and uh, 
the like in for the United States, our national symbol is the bald eagle. Right. And the and so like our national symbol sits really well in that part of our heads. You know, the NBC logo, the peacock, also sits there. The ABC logo uh, really sits in our like the you know uh, <laughs> that circle. I would say is the channel for the voice and that archetypally that eagle that bird holds that circle ideally Mm. and that channel and that's where the cross or the medicine wheel ideally uh, lives the symbol for earth you know that same that circle with the cross is kind of the channel for the voice and so you know are we and we say our abcs with that you know with our voice so i would say that encircled uh you know encircling a logo really puts it in a channel for a voice cnn's logo looks very much like dna <laughs> or rna you know so they're really trying to get in you know whether they know it or not they're you know it's getting into our you know that's where it embeds in our system huh. you know um starbucks logo has a very virgo component to it and Virgo in medical astrology rules the intestines. So in terms of like, you know, going and getting something to eat, <laughs> that's, yeah, uh, you know, satisfying. And it's got multiple, you know, it has multiple components, but it's really interesting. Like I love taking the corporate logos and the country logos you know, and kind of, and dissecting those and seeing, you know, where they're, you know, also where they're just, kind of where they're distorted relative to um, astrology, astrological or um, uh, sometimes Ayurvedic uh, principles. The, uh, the Vedas describe our anatomy in very precise detail as well. And largely through symbolism and mythology. You know, for example, the um, Ganesh, the Hindu deity Ganesh, lives on the underside of the brain. If you look at the brain from the bottom, the your brainstem is the trunk of Ganesh. The roots of the trigeminal nerve are the eyes. The cerebellum is are the ear are the ears. It's the ears, and so it's really uh, this isn't just you know, this doesn't just work with one, you know, with the Greco-Roman pantheon, you know, and you can go back into, uh, go into the Egyptian pantheon and, you know, go through the Vedas. And, um, you know, I, somebody recently shared with me a Sufi poem called the conference of the birds. And it would be very easy to interpret in chakras and it, in a sort of a shocker sense because the birds go through these seven valleys and but i said oh these are the um you know these are the seven deadly sins and each one of those goes with one of the hormones that in your pituitary gland and i have a whole um you know and so i have that you know when i train other professionals that's part of what i teach them and and so there's these like uh, the story of the biblical story of the temple of the Ark of the Covenant describes cranial anatomy in quite a bit of detail. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so the story, you know, like as humans, I think the only rule we ever really follow is as above, so below, you know, and that symbolism lives within us in so many different ways and with so many layers. And we all have a physical expression of our internal narrative and an internal expression of our physical narrative. And when you, when you treat the physical body, sometimes a person's story will change, but when you treat their story, the physical body will always change or the physical situation will always change. And I want to loop back to the, to the logos one more um, time before I forget to say this, but one of the logos to me that makes the biggest case for how symbolism lives in the body and especially in the way this uh, bird shaped bone in the head holds the channel for the voice is the Nazis logo, which was an Eagle holding a circle with a swastika in it. Yeah. And to think about how many voices they were able to co-op with their movement really, I think speaks to the power of how symbolism lives in the body. Wow. (laughs) You know, so you can use these, uh, you know, but I think it's important to use them for, uh, you know, use them to make the world a better place. Like we can be aware of this now <laughs> and use this to, uh, to expand ourselves rather than to, you know, brainwash each other. Yeah. It's amazing to me how much uh, depth exists in and around us at all times. And yet how we as humans tend to tune ourselves out for whatever reason, whatever, you know, catalysts in our lives and our beings make us do this, uh, we tune ourselves out from, from the, the depth of, for lack of a better word, beauty and truth that exists, <laughs> mm-hmm. again, in and around us. And so we're, we're somewhat oblivious much of, much of our time. That's why we, like, you used the word earlier, and we've, we've had a lot of guests do a lot of different you know, kind of topics and at the core, it's our human experience at the end of the day and having the most healthy, joyful, aligned, so to speak, experience possible. Yeah. But uh, using uh, these words of awakening, that's what I'm getting at, uh, because being asleep is kind of like a, walking around like a zombie uh, at times of like all this, like all this beauty all around, but we're in like a stupor of confusion. And so that's self-imposed unintentionally, I think, because I think if people Absolutely. understood what we could have and how we could see right. the universe, uh, we would do what it takes to, to do that. How do, well, how do we tune ourselves? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, to realize that we're all doing the thing we need most to heal ourselves, mm-hmm. no matter what that is. Like, I, it's very clear to me that my work is all about figuring out my own vagus nerve, <laughs> yeah. getting it into a... In, into a better place. And I can tell that I can thread that story throughout my life. And I think, I think it can be really, you have to be really compassionate for yourself. Like we are all wired for what's familiar, not what's Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. You know, this is why abused women go back to their abusers. Yeah. You know, because it's familiar, like they know it's wrong, but we're wired. We're not wired for right. We're wired for what's familiar. And in my business coach training, uh, we would talk a lot about being uh, addicted to being right. You know, and we've all worked for someone that we know 
you know, that was addicted being right. Or we know what that looks like. We see it in our politicians and, <laughs> you know, d- different leaders, you know, our bosses and, you know, it shows up, you know, sometimes we see it in our parents or in our children. <laughs> over there. And yes. to really learn to let go of that or to like, to dig into what else is true that we think that truth has to be mutually exclusive of something else, that there's only one truth. And when you can hold space for multiple things to be true at the same time, then you really can expand and you can start stepping into your own fullness and really start to shift the way things are working for you. You know, and when I get, I don't get very many clients anymore that are resistant to change you know most of you know historically by the time people made it into my office like they would have walked on their heads if i told them to you know to make whatever their situation was better yeah but when you um but you know it's just it's letting you know allowing yourself to expand in that ever expanding universe and i have enough uh you know i'm 49 so i have a few wrinkles and a little, you know, enough experience now that when somebody comes to me and, you know, says, well, I can't do that, you know, like, you know, we talk about what needs to change. And, and if I get a litany of excuses, I'm like, well, tell me how well the current, what you're doing currently is working for you. Because <laughs> you wouldn't be here <laughs> if it wasn't, if it was working, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so let's figure out about what, the, you know, and so, I mean, it's sometimes it's about baby steps. I get it. Like, it can be really scary to make big changes, you know, I, and I, Uh, you know, and I, it was terrifying for me as I committed to being more honest with my patients about what I was perceiving in their bodies about those spiritual underpinnings of their physical dysfunction. But every time I stepped off the edge of the cliff, the ground showed up. (laughs) That's so true. I mean, that's just true of us. In my experience, too. I'm sorry to interrupt. Continue, please. Oh, no, 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 no. It was, yeah, the, you know, like when the first two patients I I remember really committed, you know, when I made this commitment to myself that I needed to live, you know, uh, you know, be more authentic to myself, you know, and my patients and my practice that the and I just started with people, clients that I knew well that would come see me every few months for a tune-up. And one of them came to me with neck pain, and and it was it was just excruciating to see it to say it to her, even though I knew she would have been you know, she wasn't going to run out of my office or anything. It was fine. I said, "Well, it feels." It, she was having some neck pain, and I said, "It feels like you have um, kind of a spirit attached, you know, like a ghost in your neck, or there's like the memory of somebody else in your neck." And she said. I, I know exactly when that happened. And she had a whole story to go with it that she hadn't told anyone because she thought it was too weird to share mm-hmm. and didn't know what to do with it. And the, like, uh, very shortly after that, I saw somebody else and I, uh, she was having an issue around that right side of her diaphragm and uh, liver area. And I said, there's a book you need to get rid of. And she said, I know exactly what book you're talking about and had a whole story to go with that. <laughs> And so, you know, and it was, you know, it was literally terrifying to allow my intuitive side of myself to, to give it a voice, you know, and to give it a voice out loud in front of somebody else, you know, it was truly, truly terrifying. Yeah. And, 
but, but this is where I find the, I, you know, I was so convinced that I wasn't really just pulling things out of thin air that there's like the, you know, we're highly, we're really well designed organisms and the universe, you know, the earth is very uh, brilliantly put together. And I thought there has to be a structure as to how this happens and how this works. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so that's really where I've, you know, kind, kind of where I've come from that it's not, you know, I mean, I can seemingly sometimes pull things out of thin air, but I like to make it really logical and then to empower the individual to be able to do it themselves, you know, to think of like, okay, this is, you know, these are the energies or these are the way, you know, the stories that can be held in this part of the body and let's see how they're, you know, these stories are playing out in your life. Mm. So profound. The stuff you're saying is, uh, you know, for me personally, it conjures thoughts of my own life and my own stress and my own, you know, physical and emotional pains and, and joys and things too, where you kind of compare and contrast and try to figure out the core of, what what our life process and growth has been and uh you know on that note too there's so many places we could go with this and i was curious you mentioned earlier and i don't want to put you on the spot so there's zero pressure so that's my disclaimer in saying this but you mentioned something earlier about your own personal maybe i don't know childhood trauma of losing a voice of Mm -hmm. sorts do you want to share any about that and if not that's okay too since that's a personal no i'm happy to talk yeah i'm happy to talk about it and um, so my, I was in youth choir from, I don't know, kindergarten, first grade through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And my, you know, and I would say maybe this was around, this probably happened somewhere around third or fourth grade, but my choir instructor started making me mouth the words to the songs I was not allowed to sing oh my goodness especially if we had a if we had a big performance like uh, because I grew up grew up in the Washington DC area we sang at the Kennedy Center at Christmas time wow and we would do musicals in front of the church and I was not allowed to sing because I just my voice was strong but not always perfectly on key yeah and I did not have a voice or I didn't feel I had a voice at home. I was very, I was a relatively quiet, sensitive child. And I didn't, I thought I would get in trouble for telling my parents that that was happening. And so I didn't tell my parents that happening either. So it went on for years. Wow. And you know, and it's been, I could, you know, extend that thread about how it's been just, you know, just in the story I was telling earlier about how it was excruciating to tell my patients what was truly going on with them, but that, you know, that was in in part because my voice had just, I I had shut it down so hard Mm -hmm. that it, you know, it was really difficult to, uh, to let it out. And, in terms of vagus nerve compression, working with the voice has been kind of my last frontier. You know, as if most voice problems go to uh, speech pathology, you know, in terms of referrals, like they don't come to physical therapy. Mm-hmm. But people really get how, how they're, but I've worked with voice in people's bodies for years, like giving their body a voice, 
you know, that this is like, what is your knee pain saying, <laughs> you know, and what is, you know, what is this about in a bigger picture? And, right. you know, and now when I think about that trauma, you know, or that stress, you know, this, you know, the, certainly the chronic stress of just, you know, having that happen that I, I, one, recognize how I create, created that trauma, you know, that that's really, you know, and I learned, you know, just a couple of years ago that uh, lost voice is the karmic backstory in my astrology chart, which really blew me away. And so I really came here to heal that piece of things. And that if I had not been traumatized at some level on my voice, that I would have not figured out how to decompress it in myself and be able to help others as well. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, we also, you know, I think beyond, you know, forgiving the people that inflict um, our limitations upon us, you know, I've really come to even value them as the ones in my life as gurus, you know, that they were really incredible teachers. And that, you know, and that I take the responsibility, you know, that I set up, uh, you know, we're all incredibly powerful creators of our own (laughs) realities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, and I don't, mean that, you know, I don't want that to go into, to be misconstrued as, you know, victim blaming or anything, you know, because I get that trauma can be really, really horrible for people, but to really understand how incredibly, like, that's a lot of power to invite something terrible to happen to then be, and then be able to transform it into something good. Absolutely. And so, you know, and it's, and then it allows that stress to live in my body in a very peaceful place. And so that's kind of what, you know, like that is really given me peace to see, you know, to not, to, to not see it as a victimization, but to see it as an initiation. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and thank you for sharing that. I honor your experience and your, uh, I don't know, courage or whatnot with all of that and sharing that experience because Truly, trauma is a very personal thing because there's really deep things that people don't want to necessarily show most of the world about how it affected them, especially emotionally and other things. And, uh, you know, go back to the symbols topic earlier, too. And it's, uh, you know, trauma is a very, for people who do exercise, for example, there's a way you traumatize your body to get it stronger, whether you're lifting weights, running. Absolutely. (laughs) You have to have some stress. You have to like a little... Yes. Yeah. The, the technical term for that is eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. You know, you have to have a certain amount of stress to get stronger yeah. and, you know, and, and to, the, to develop. And, you know, I talk, you know, in terms of the stress and wounding, I talk about it a lot in the context of the Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give you just the short version Okay. of the story. So in the myth of Isis and Osiris, Osiris was the king of Egypt and his brother Set was angry and jealous and wanted to be king. And so Set tricked Osiris into lying down into a bejeweled coffin, had his soldiers shut the coffin, nail it and carry it to the Nile river to send Osiris downstream to his death. 
Osiris's wife Isis found out about this, found Osiris's body, took him to a cave and breathed new life into him. Set found out about that and was furious. And so he found Osiris, chopped him into pieces and scattered his pieces in the Nile River. Isis again found out about this, went and retrieved all of the pieces. She found everything except for his phallus, for which she made a new one. She brought him back to life long enough to conceive their divine child, Horus. And then Osiris went on to be king of the underworld. And we use dismemberment metaphors in our lives all the time. We say we're falling apart. We can't get it together. Our hearts are broken. Our lives are shattered. We'd give our left arm for something that we really want. And so this, and where Osiris and everybody else in the story maybe thought his true destiny was to be king of the king of Egypt. It wasn't his true destiny was to be king of the underworld. And he had to come apart to be able to come back together in a new way. Yeah. And that's really the gift of stress and trauma. I thought I was supposed to be a highly credentialed physical therapist and my true destiny is much more in the realm as a highly credentialed high priestess, you know, <laughs> and to, you know, and, or, you know, it's a storyteller of the human, you know, this, you know, bridge to tell this, you know, to connect the body and the story. And, uh, you know, and that takes a whole coming apart and, you know, uh, questioning of who you are. And, and I think that, you know, but that, that's a story that I find, you know, that I feel is very relatable and very universal. And, you know, and that letting go of who the world tells you you should be and who you thought you were supposed to be, to be really who you are is the biggest and hardest thing that we all do. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, commentary on this life journey. I appreciate all those uh, symbols and the story and, and uh, all of that. It's, uh, it's kind of, sounding like embracing stress which is much easier said than done because there's an element of pain and discomfort <laughs> involved with it just as sure. it may be embracing exercising uh for the bigger picture of the outcome and the, the, you know, the health benefits and so on uh not just physically with the exercise but mentally emotionally growth perspective and uh you, you said something earlier about that we are creators uh which I I firmly believe like that is a very core truth of what we are as people. And a large part of that to me is how we frame our experience, uh, whatever that might be in your case with yes. the losing voice experience and, and how, how so many people can go through pretty similar, almost identical things and come out completely different I think underscores that reality that we are the creators is, you know, that's the first habit of Stephen Covey's seven habits, which I've touched on a lot lately. God rest his soul. <laughs> but uh, I look up to, that was like the first kind of self-help quote unquote book that I read back way back yeah. in the nineties, uh, the seven habits, highly effective people, but be proactive was the first. And there's so much depth to be proactive. Uh, but but it also, you know, talk about empower humans. There's no stronger power than embracing that reality. We are in charge. It doesn't matter who, what, anything externally that's happening. And there are some things we can't control, but at the core, we're in control of our thought process and how we frame things and how we come out of things, good and bad or painful right. or not so much. 
but uh, I'm just Absolutely. commenting. Well, and the re- <laughs> yeah, well, and the research really shows, you know, and this is something that like Victor Frankl really um, showed, you know, like he was yeah. a Holocaust survivor and a psychiatrist, you know, and um, he, that like when you can find meaning in the trauma, that that's just incredibly powerful and healing. And, you know, and I will say beyond all of this, you know, we've talked extensively about pain and trauma and, you know, heavy things today that you can use these same principles to amplify performance and to really get in flow, you know, that trauma to, and flow are two ends of the same spectrum. And so when you, um, uh, you know, and, and sometimes like we're just so incredibly clever about how these things show up in um, patterns show up in our lives. Like uh, I had a client a while ago who um, her mother had been a prescription drug addict and had passed away. Mm-hmm. And she was in, she had an incredible new job, very high profile job, and she hated it. <laughs> it mm-hmm. was not, you know, like she thought it was what she wanted and it wasn't. Yeah. And it, and she started describing her job situation to me in the same, using the same words that she had described her mother to me. And so I was able to help her connect that she literally went to go work for her mother. You know, and so we're just very, you know, we're just so incredibly clever about how we do this. You know, so like, you know, while it was her pain wasn't really manifesting as a physical pain, you know, it was this, you know, it was a big, it was a stress in her life and to figure out what was doing it, but to realize that this, you know, that she was repeating this pattern in a different way, then gave her the power and the uh, wherewithal to make really good decisions, you know, and she ended up, she ended up finding another, like an amazing job that really fit her after that, but Mm -hmm you know, like we, we repeat these patterns to learn these lessons in, in uh, like, and we're just, I'm always blown away at how clever we are at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I, I think largely about, pardon the pun, but the big picture. Um, and, and it seems to me, and again, just my life experience, and I've talked to several folks both on and off the podcast about these topics, but the big picture is, uh, is where it's at to me uh, to oversimplify. And, and we should Absolutely. constantly be striving, I think, for the big picture. It doesn't mean that we don't hone in on very specific details. Like I, for one, am a very detail-oriented person. Clearly, you are in many ways. And yet you look at those details in the context of the bigger picture too and how it interconnects, as in the case of the story you shared about the woman's job and her mother. And and when you when you pan out, we've talked about this before, where in the movie, it'll show like a house and you zoom out and you see the neighborhood and the city and then eventually maybe the planet. Yeah. And then you see more how things are interconnected. So there's certain versions of big picture where you'll see interconnected things better. Like if, if you're closer to the neighborhood, you can see how this house connects to that lot. But if you're all the way out the planet level, you might not see that as readily. But big picture, I think, as a general idea, has really helped me a lot in in stresses, you know, I've been through a divorce and uh, you know, various mm-hmm. things. My fa- my parents were divorced and uh, just other life experiences, both pleasant at the time and unpleasant. Just like in your case too, you talked about a, uh, a midlife awakening and you realized that was the correct term over time rather than 
what you might have at the time called a midlife crisis <laughs> and Absolutely. realize yeah that. yeah so well yeah and to realize my favorite quote is from a tribe in the andes mountains in south america and they say that your future is behind you propelling you forward mm. and that your past is in front of you waiting for you to make peace with it and clear your way wow. and i love that idea that your future has your back that's amazing. Yeah. And that you can really lean into it, you know, and that it's not something that you have to chase. Yeah. Well, we've talked to for me, about stepping I off the cliff. I think that's the truest. Mhm. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's the truest. Yeah. Yeah, I think that so I think that your future being behind you is very much the truest uh for me it's the truest way that time works relative to our physical bodies <laughs> and you know we're very disconnected from the backside of our bodies i one of my exercise for decompressing the vagus nerve at the level of the heart includes uh inhaling into the backside of your heart to expand the space there interesting and just getting more uh you know developing this awareness of the backside of your body is um it can be very crucial on a physical level, just in terms of getting your breath, um, the mechanics of your breath in place. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just works so beautifully in terms of, of really connecting with the way the, the universe has your back, you know, and to, and to feel supported in life instead of uh, like, you know, anxiety will manifest for a lot of people in the chest on the front side. Mm -hmm. And, that the, you know, when you are able to shift the attention a little bit more to the back, it can really reduce that sense of anxiety. And, you know, and I think some of that comes from this feeling that you always have to chase your future or go out and catch it rather than to just bring it to you, mm -hmm. and, you know, and the, or allow it to take you where you need to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, some version of a flow state, I think, where you get to a place in a certain sense where there's this element of surrender to the fact that we're not completely in control of all the powers of the universe per se, mm -hmm. but we can be in tune with them and, and put our trust in them. And that's as liberating it's liberating. And it's also can be scary, at least at first, just like I talked about, I'm sorry, I interrupted about oh, uh, yeah. stepping off oh, no, the no, cliff. No. And then the, you know, there was a place to step and like Indiana Jones, yeah. when, <laughs> the last crusade. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> That's, Spoiler yeah. alert, if you haven't seen no, that. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's old enough now. I think it's okay to do that. Yeah, no, I completely, yes. Yeah, so, you know, like when you, when your future has your back, you can, you know, you can trust that if you, you know, when you step off the edge of the cliff, that that ground will show up. And, you know, I, I love really how Martha Beck describes it, that it's not as much about what you want to happen, but what yearns to happen. Mm. And so taking your uh, ego out of it, you know, yeah. and really, you know, and your, our minds will lie to us all day long. Our bodies tell us the truth. And so learning the language of your body <laughs> and how your body says yes and how your body says no is an, you know, that's where I start with a lot of my clients is just because their trauma displaces us outside of our bodies. You know, we get disembodied with trauma and stress. And that we have to like we have to bring that back in and to really figure out what 
you know, what our bodies wants is the most grounded. I mean, it's literally the most grounded place from which we can make a decision. And, you know, and there's certain aspects of our individual makeups, you know, and preferences that I think make some conversations with the body easier than others. But that's really the thing that I've done for, you know, at least, you know, for over 20 years now is to have these kind of conversations with people's bodies, just, you know, like, tell me what's happening, you know, is it, you know, and to, um, you know, and to, and to follow the lead. And when you can really uh, kind of have that body-based decision-making process and know that it's like, and I understand that mindset techniques work for a lot of people, but I would say that when a mindset technique really works well, it's because you have also embodied it. Absolutely. And, you know, that it's not as much about your mindset. It's really about what I call your body set. And uh, that's uh, uh, the preliminary title for my book that I'm hoping is going to be out before Christmas 2020. Oh, that's great. So what's, what's the title, preliminary title? Your body set. Your body set. Hey, that's beautiful. In light of what you said about our minds lie to us, but our bodies tell us the truth. I think that's a very apt Mm-hmm. Uh, preliminary title. Yeah. Well, and and I th- think that what the the way that this um, you know the way I like describe the astrology and mythology, the way it lives in the body, that this is the it, it, one. It's literally the way the cosmos is coded into us, and the way that we are a fractal of the bigger picture. Absolutely. And I like to frame it also as the it's the framework on which I think our souls hang themselves. Like if you can get this framework in place, it allow it gives like it gives your own personal makeup a really solid foundation to then find your genius and perform at your highest level and be uh you know be a great leader, be a um you know have your uh, be very creative in your art or in your business, you know, whatever, you know, to really tap into your deepest creativity and your deepest abundance. Yeah, no, that's, I couldn't agree more. And there's so much depth to, <laughs> to the things we're talking about. I, uh, and that's another reason to me, I think the big picture is so important because for one, we get caught up in ourselves when we're in the small picture thinking and it's our tendency, I think is oh, human. Yeah. we got to overcome. And, and when I, th- I've learned over the years as I've, done a little bit of study of the universe in general just like the nearest star to our solar system i was chatting with somebody the other day about this is uh i don't remember it's alpha centauri is what we call it but um mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's something like 4.7 light years which and i came to learn light year speed of light is 186,000 miles per second and so in one earth year how far can that light travel is a light year <laughs> which uh it happens to be around 5 trillion miles. And uh, so yeah. a light year, so that's the nearest of hundreds of billions of stars just in our galaxy, let alone the hundreds of billions of other galaxies with similar numbers the, and distances. They're just unfathomable to us people. And we think in that kind of picture, we're in a universe like that. And physically, we might be a small speck, but an important spec that we can i don't know specs maybe not the right word but uh, fractal as you said yeah <laughs> of that whole picture absolutely right and, and like well and yeah and to, mm-hmm. go ahead no absolutely i mean i think that you know i always tell people like to not minimize the importance of doing your personal work and the impact it has on 
your life in general. Like I know that when, you know, in my, uh, when I made a big, uh, breakthrough realization for myself, my now 16 year old son was, I don't know, maybe eight or so. And he was, he was struggling with reading Mm -hmm. and he, uh, and it had been, it had just been, it had been a frustrating thing to try and like dose it properly. And, you know, and he convinced himself that he was not a good reader and that he, um, you know, and so then he really didn't want to read more. Mm-hmm. And he, and so I had this big breakthrough for myself and it was um, during the, like around, uh, um, I believe Christmas time. And he comes up to me and he says, mom, I think I'd like to write a book. <laughs> And I said, great, (laughs) let's do that. You know, I'm happy to help, you know, to set you up to do that. And he really learned how to read more through writing, you know, and having, you know, spell check, (laughs) correct his spelling and things like that. And, but like, I did nothing, you know, I mean, I, all I did was work on myself and I was just so struck that all of a sudden this door opened for him because I cleared my own junk out of the way. (laughs) Yes. Beautiful. So, you know, it, it's really, really, um, you know, so to not minimize the fractal power of yourself on the lives of people, uh, of people around you. And as humans, we connect much more with story than we do with process. You know, like the neuroscience of the effects of storytelling on the brain are really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And medicine, you know, and you know, make a good case for how medicine should absolutely be leveraging story in addition to the physical medicine. And yeah. we, um, we you know we're all literally made of stardust. You know, we know that scientifically. You know, and that stardust has a story. You know, we've named that stardust. That's you know, those are, you know, our stars have names in mythologies. And the power of name, the research on naming is amazing. Your name influences the shape of your face around your eyes, or especially around your eyes. And so there's just so many cool uh, pieces of research and um, wisdom across all of these domains to to put together. And I think that's really the future is bridging all of this together that, you know, the medical research doesn't just live in medicine and the, um, you know, the mythological research doesn't just live in, uh, you know, academic, you know, departments of history and mm-hmm. <laughs> archaeology and anthropology, you know, that we start to bridge all of these things together and realize how they how they aren't separate and that we aren't separate yeah and while and these elements that make us all up and our surroundings in the universe may shift and change over time like water can be a solid and a gas and all these things uh these various core elements are essentially eternal they can't not be and things are what they are and you know there's there's a lot of depth to this reality the the mass of the universe regardless of the changing and moving and shifting that occurs in various ways throughout it uh, never changes and uh, in any case i'm getting places where i'm not too big of an expert but i have a little bit of knowledge (laughs) but i you know we could talk all day about this and i you know i'm tempted to do so but our audience might be yeah these guys they want to yeah, get well, this has been such listening. a treat. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. <laughs> you brought so much light, knowledge, and, you know, depth and expertise here. And, and so, again, 
MelanieWeller.com is you have a website, correct? And I do. Uh, and I'll link up all this stuff as well as what you mentioned earlier, this free online course. We'll, we'll put some uh, information in the show notes and maybe a link there as well. And uh, any Absolutely. final thoughts as we wrap up here, Melanie? Thank you for sharing all this, but any final thoughts? You know, we, I think we all, you know, like I, uh, in Siberian shamanism, they say there's uh, seven spirit twins or like seven archetypes. Mm-hmm. And the seven are the healer, magus, uh, teacher, warrior, pro- protector, messenger, and executor. And, uh, you know, so I talked a little bit about my relationship with the high priestess archetype and, mm-hmm. but really we are everything at every level, you know, and to really, um, you know, even when I like, you know, when I'm in teacher mode, I might step in through that teacher door through the, uh, you know, dressed as the high priestess, but like, we know, we're a little stronger in some of those than others, but to really know that you are everything at every level and that that's your deepest truth. Mm-hmm. I love that, you know, own ourselves and, and embrace exists, whether we embrace it or not, the power is in each and every one of us. And many of us, most of us, I think live below our privileges in that, in that regard. We talked about that way back oh, in the episode of our of our podcast, but um, great. Melanie, thank you for so much beautiful, in, uh, many beautiful insights today and, and uh, knowledge and expertise as clearly the world's leading expert of the vagus nerve, not to be confused with the city I live in, but, uh, <laughs> and again, it's V-A-G-U-S, but go to our website, more information, and we'll have links and all kinds of things in the show notes because we're going to need to for this one. Uh, but for our audience, thank you. We're flattered you spend time with us and we love you and uh, go out there, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.